so. So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That, too, is ruach. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass, and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up, and God's Spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's Spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now... Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so, today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit.
plans. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us power to accomplish His plans. And it's for this reason that my sermon for today is entitled, The Empowered Church. The Empowered Church. And this is going to be the first of a six-part series that will focus on who we are as the church, but also who we want to be as life spring and where we want to be going. And so the series itself is called The Unstoppable Mission of Jesus, and I'm looking forward to the next six weeks. So let's read Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. And the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you that uh, you've already been speaking to us through worship, God and through the ministry time, Lord, and how beautiful it was to celebrate what you did at Fredrickson, Lord. So continue to speak to us through your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So this chapter of Acts is probably one of the more famous chapters of the New Testament, and justifiably so. For in this chapter, we see the birth of the church. The events of chapter 2 in particular are extraordinary and unprecedented. And we read about the arrival of the Holy Spirit as promised by Jesus. Acts 2.1 establishes the setting. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. But we know that these first followers were told to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them before they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth, and to the end of the earth. And before we go further, I think it's important that we do some biblical context. So, Pentecost means 50th in Greek and refers to the Jewish feast called Shavuot. All right, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Shavuot. It's called a feast of weeks or first fruits, and it was established in Exodus 34 and later in Numbers 28 and was to be observed for 50 days following the Passover. Pentecost was one of three Old Testament festivals when people were to travel to Jerusalem with gifts and offerings. This feast celebrated the harvest and was filled with great rejoicing, and it was the largest pilgrimage feast filling Jerusalem with visitors from all over. Now, coming to the book of Acts, moving to the book of Acts, of Pentecost follows 50 days after Easter. And Easter is the day that the Passover celebration was complete and fulfilled. 
The Passover of the Old Testament was merely a shadow or picture of the greater fulfillment found in Jesus' sacrifice. This was the day when God set all his children free from the slavery of sin and death by the sacrifice of his son. Acts 2.1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. This phrase, when the day of Pentecost arrived, literally means had been completely fulfilled. It's similar to the thought found in Galatians 4.4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The idea is not that Pentecost had just happened, but rather this particular Pentecost fulfilled its eternally determined destiny. Notice also that the believers were all together in one place. Author translations say they gathered together with one accord, which means having one mind. This shows us that these first followers understood the importance of gathering together. They had made a commitment to the community called church, and nothing was going to get in their way. And obviously, this was of value to them, because we see three other times in the first two chapters, Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Acts 2.46, and day by day attending the temple together. Think about what would have happened if someone slept in that morning hmm? when the Holy Spirit fell. Think about what would have happened if someone slept in that day or decided to, I'll let you fill in the blank. I won't get myself in trouble. As we keep on moving here, I want us to consider three words that highlights Evident signs of the Spirit from today's passage. And they are power, presence, and proclamation. Power, presence, and proclamation. Power is the first evident sign found in verse 2. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The word suddenly means this sound came abruptly unexpectedly and immediately this was not actual wind but a sound like a mighty rushing wind this can be translated as a violent blasting roar like the sound of a raging tornado this roar filled not just the room they were in but also the entire house verse 6 tells us it was so loud it drew multitudes in the word for wind is also the word for spirit and represents the power of God. We first see the spirit's work in creation in Genesis 1-2. The video we just watched highlighted that. Genesis 1-2 says, And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The spirit's work in the new creation is also seen in John 3-8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Next word I want to look at here is presence. 
So the first evident sign of the invisible spirit in this passage is extremely loud. And the second evident sign we find in verse 3. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Notice, no one was left out. No one was excluded. Fire in the Bible represents God's purifying presence as seen in Exodus 3, 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a burning bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. God also used fire to lead his people in Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The other word I want to look at here is proclamation. The third evident sign of the Spirit in this passage is found in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When all 120 believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, something pretty amazing happened. They started proclaiming their praises in a number of languages they had not spoken before. And these were languages unknown to the speakers, but understood by the hearers. Look at verse 5 and 6. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. The word bewildered means they were confounded and confused because they were hearing the praises of God in their own native languages. The people are particularly unsettled because they recognize that those who are speaking these languages had never studied a foreign language. Look at verse 7. It says, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They were beside themselves, and out of their minds, they marveled and wondered how these Galileans could speak so fluently in multiple languages. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples with a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The sound of the Spirit was so great that it filled the entire house. The sound became languages, real, distinct human languages that were spoken by various people all over the ancient Near Eastern world. The disciples began to speak these languages, and the sounds of their voices called and communicated to the crowds who were passing by. To those who had come to Jerusalem from some far-off country, from some distant region, there was suddenly a sound that sounded like home. You know, no matter how many languages you might master in your lifetime, there will always be one that is your first language. We often refer to this as our native language. Your native tongue is the language that you first express your feelings and fears, your desires and dreams. When traveling to a new place, nothing perks your ears quite so much as hearing a sudden snatch of conversation in your native language. When you're away from home, hearing the language of home inspires you to strike up a conversation with someone you might have never spoken to. Debbie and I have traveled all over the U.S., and sometimes when we've stopped at a restaurant or we've gone to an event, 
We speak Creole in Belize. And you might hear someone speaking Creole. And she's like, I think that person is from Belize. They speak Creole. And you have a conversation with them. This is what was happen, happening. So no wonder so many people who heard the Pentecost disciples spouting off in all those languages stopped to listen. Sophisticated travelers making their way to Jerusalem might have thought the disciples were just a gathering of dingy Galileans. But the language of home caught their hearts. It caught their ears. It tugged at their hearts. Pentecost starts with the disciples using old, familiar languages to tell an entirely new story. Then it was time for the Holy Spirit to begin speaking of the Son. And the people were amazed. Those 120 were broken people just like you and I. But though broken, they were open and expectantly waiting for what the Lord was going to do in them and through them. We are still broken people living in a broken world. We are still bruised and battered people living in a bruised and battered world. Some of our wounds will never heal. Some of us will limp for a lifetime. But the Holy Spirit speaks through broken people to a broken world using language every broken heart can hear and understand. Because we know what it's like to be broken by hatred, we can speak of the healing love of Jesus' sacrifice. Because we know what it's like to be broken by despair, we can speak of the healing hope of Jesus's forgiveness because we know what it's like to be broken by doubt we can speak of the healing faith in Jesus's promises because we know what it's like to be broken by illness we can speak of the healing wholeness of his resurrection amen but the question that came to mind this week as I studied this passage was are we fluent and this power, presence, and proclamation as those at Pentecost. The group at Pentecost were openly waiting for this filling of the Spirit. And so, I ask, are we even open to such a filling of the Holy Spirit to happen in our own lives? To those of you sitting in here today, to those of you listening online, because... We know what it's like to break down doing church. We know what it's like to break down program church, purpose-driven church, seeker-sensitive church, organic church, missional church, simple church, and the list goes on and on. But I think it's time for us to step, stop getting caught up on the word church, which has become a religious use to us, and start doing Pentecost. Yes, the capital C Church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. In fact, Christianity is still the fastest growing religion in the world. But it's not really growing in the north and the west, but in the south and the east. Charles Stanley, in his book, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life, says, and I quote, Nothing is more frustrating than watching people listen week after week, oftentimes writing it all down, and then do nothing but what they have heard. He said that evangelical America is note rich and application poor. As a result, there is little difference between many of us and our lost neighbors. That should sadden our hearts. That should sadden 
our hearts. And so I find myself asking these questions this week. What has happened to the church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost? What happened to the people that exhibited that power? What happened to that New Testament church that had thirst to hear from the Lord? I'll tell you, that church was relevant. Maybe it's time for us to stop relying on our own powers, programs, and blueprints and start doing what these early disciples did. Trust the Spirit and do Pentecost. And when I say Pentecost, I simply mean being open just as the 120 was to what the Lord wants to do in you and through you. When we do church... We're concerned about our protection and position in church. When we do Pentecost, we're concerned about being out there in the world, hid with Christ in God. When we do church, we're concerned about decency and order. When we do Pentecost, we're concerned about fire and glory. When we do church, we want God to leave us alone. When we do Pentecost, we want God to order our steps. When we do church, we burn ourselves out maintaining an institution. When we do Pentecost and live by the Spirit, we We set ourselves on fire, blow up evil, and our lives are spent setting off the gospel dynamite of spirit and fire. When we do church, we worry over human dreams, schemes, and appointings. When we do Pentecost, we pursue and desire divine appointings. When we do church, it's all about human functions. When we do Pentecost, it's all about divine functions. When we do church, we're organizing. When we do Pentecost, we're agonizing, agonizing over a world God loves so much that he sent his only son to die for it. Life spring. I say life spring. Let's do Pentecost. It's time the world heard some different sounds. The songs of eternal significance. There's nothing like moving and listening to the power of the Holy Spirit and speaking what the Lord has spoken to you over someone's lives rather than trying to fabricate something good for them to hear. Nothing is more life-giving than listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. As the Spirit enabled them. It would be difficult to imagine a scene more dramatic than that. Was it a tornado? Probably not. There was no report of physical damage. It only says there was a sound of a violent wind. And Luke was trying as best as he could to describe the power that came upon the disciples on this occasion. Fifty days After Jesus' resurrection, they experienced such power that these, quote-unquote, uneducated disciples were able to testify in foreign languages to people who had come from many lands to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. Some of those present that first Pentecost made fun of the disciples and accused them of being intoxicated. If the police had happened by, they might have issued warrants for drunk and disorderly that morning or that day. But later down in the passage, the Apostle Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. 
He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. Verse 15, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And, shall pro- and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the lord comes the great and magnificent day verse 21 and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved acts 2 14 to 21 and then peter proceeded to tell them about jesus peter's preaching made an impression About 3,000 were added to the church that one day. Peter was bold in faith. Do we have any bold in faith people here this morning? Does it sound like it? Do we have any bold in faith people here this morning? See, I think we have a tendency in the church today to minimize the role of the Holy Spirit. Because... No one's going to accuse us of being drunk and disorderly. We recoil at the unbridled emotionalism of the so-called holy rollers. We don't want any violent wind to shake the foundations of our church. We are content to be refined, respectable, responsible, and above all, rational. But the song says, get up my soul, get up my soul, get up and praise the Lord. And yet... Something is missing in today's church. It's not sincerity. We're all sincere in our faith. It's not intellect. We have the best educated pastors, clergy members, and lay people the world has ever known. It's not financial resources. We scramble sometimes to make ends meet, but we are an affluent people. What is it we are missing? Could it be power? Could it be power? See... We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father and Son we're comfortable with, but the Holy Spirit, well, we don't know exactly where we stand on that. But in this postmodern, post-Christian society in which we now living, I'd say that people today are turned off by a faith that is simply intellectual or rationalistic. They want a holistic presentation of the gospel, one that grips the imagination and emotions as well as the intellectual part of the brain in an age that cries out for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christianity without an emphasis on the Holy Spirit is like faith on decaf. And nobody wants coffee like that. A faith that is only intellectual and rational without any trace of what is sometimes called enthusiasm. It's not a faith that empowers people to live out their faith. I feel sometimes as if we've been trained in fire building, but have no fire. But there is a growing recognition that faith must involve the head and the heart and the spirit if we are going to reach people today with the message of the gospel. Amen? 
We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need revival, power, and sensitivity to the Spirit that will have us say, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. Be healed. The Spirit's sensitivity that will have us pray for someone on an Uber ride that will prompt us to get up out of our seats and praise the Lord and have us say like David when the tabernacle was returned and he danced before the Lord and some took offense but David said I will become even more undignified than this and I know this is making some of you uncomfortable this morning but Lord we need revival Lord we need your Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit's fire the Holy Spirit's wind the Holy Spirit's power there's still a small voice of the Holy Spirit the prompting of the Holy Spirit that causes us to fast and pray the boldness of the Holy Spirit that causes us to proclaim his word and the boldness of the Holy Spirit that will have us stand firm even when we are being mocked. Come on, somebody. Do you want that kind of power? Come on, somebody. Do you want that kind of presence in your life this morning? You know, when I was preparing this sermon earlier this week, I rehearsed it on Friday. And I was like, man, Lord, I feel you. I feel your presence. I want to be living like that. I want to be walking like that. The presence of the Holy Spirit that will deliver you from your addiction. The presence of your Holy Spirit that does not just make you check off your Bible reading plan. That you will spend time there and really do devotion with the Lord. So what's the significance of all this for us today? Well, there are three things that comes to mind. One, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all believers. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit settled upon a few selected individuals. But since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon every believer at the moment of conversion. Instead of only being with the disciples, the Holy Spirit took up residence within them and is now within every born-again believer. This fulfills what Jesus said in John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it's neither, it neither sees him or knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Church, if you've made a commitment to Christ, the Spirit lives in you. Let's walk by that Spirit. Let's walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Outside of it, man, life is futile. It's futile. The second thing is this. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us, the church, to do God's work in the world by spreading the gospel to all nations. You know, as I studied this portion of scripture, I wondered why Luke goes through this long, somewhat tedious list of nations in verses 9 to 12 of Acts 2. We don't have time to read it, but he starts east of Israel and ends up encircling the land. And while most of the men mentioned were Jews, I went and did some research. And in short, I found that the point is, God's plan was no longer to be bottled up with the Jews. His good news is for all nations. I mean, and I know that, but I'd never realized that or thought about it that way. As John proclaims in Revelation 5, 9, 
Jesus purchased for God with his blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. In Matthew 28, Jesus instructs his disciples that they are to take the gospel to the whole world. And how could they possibly fulfill his command? After all, at the time Jesus gave this command, the entire company of believers was about 120 people. How could they possibly take the gospel to the whole world? And Jesus explains how in Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus would be with them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we need the power of the Holy Spirit today. Just look at the complexity of the world today, as well as secularism making claims on people's lives. Consider the enormous problems the world faces, terrorism, economic hard times, environmental devastation, a pandemic that we just lived through. Do you think that we possibly could make a dent in any of those things or any of those problems with only our own power? I say no. And so... If we ever needed the Holy Spirit working through us, it is today. It is today. The last thing is this. Not only do we need the Holy Spirit as a church, we need the power of the Spirit in our individual lives. And all believers are now empowered to be witnesses for Christ. How do we live a life of integrity in a world where personal values are crumbling? How do we keep Our commitments, how do we live a Christ-like life in a world that glorifies greed and materialism? Only one way, and that is to pray that the Holy Spirit will come into our lives and give us the courage and the conviction and the compassion to be the kind of person that honors Christ. The meaning of Pentecost was not to encourage believers to have an ecstatic experience for their own edification, but that we might be empowered to live on mission by telling the story of his glory. Because we have the Holy Spirit, you and I can now fulfill the mission and mandate found in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit gives us power to accomplish his plans. When the Holy Spirit fills us, Acts 4.31 gives us the task. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak. And so as we get ready to close this morning, this is where it's going to be your call. The ball is in your court, as we say. It's your turn to respond. I'm going to invite the worship team up at this time, and I'll be asking our prayer team to come up front. I know we're running out of time here, but I don't want to brush over this or gloss over this. But before we have the prayer team come up, I want you to consider two primary responses anytime the Spirit is moving and the gospel is communicated. Some are receptive. Look at verse 12 of Acts 2. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? This group was open and wanted to know more. Their questions sent them on a quest to know more about Christ. 
To be perplexed means that they had some doubt, but they were willing to deal with their doubts. The second thing is others are resistant. There's two responses. Some are receptive. Others are resistant. We see in verse 13, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. They were saying they're drunk. This group was closed and wanted nothing more. Instead of being amazed, they chose to mock. To mock means they thought it was all a joke, using insults as they turned their noses up. Even a miracle of God would not convince them. And so the disciples on the day of Pentecost were not only baptized with the Spirit, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And while the baptism of the Spirit is a one-time event, being filled with the Spirit happens repeatedly. That is something that we need to do on a daily basis. So how are you going to respond today? Will you be receptive or will you resist? Are you going to make fun or will you move forward in faith? I'm reminded of the response to one of Paul's sermons. In Acts 17, 32 and 33. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. What happened to the first followers and how God worked through them can and must happen to and through us today. Because the Holy Spirit gives us power to accomplish his plans. And it's only by this means that we will be an empowered church. It is only by this means that we will be an empowered people. So I'd like to call the prayer team up. I'm going to invite uh, my wife, Pastor Laura, maybe even Pastor Dan if you're available. And if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'd encourage you to come forward. If you have, and you just need a refreshing and a refilling, then join us up front. And I'd even go as far as saying this. Everyone should be out of their seats. You know why? Because we all need a refreshing and refilling of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads at this point in time, and as the band plays... Before we do that, I want to ask if there's anyone in here this morning who feel like you've been straying from the Lord, that you're not where you want to be in your relationship with Him. There's more that you want to be doing, and you hear the Lord calling you and calling you. My wife spoke it earlier this morning. He loves you. If that's you, if you would just raise your hand right where you are. I love to pray with you and for you. I see those hands going up. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these who have raised their hands this morning, God. I pray, Lord, whether it's the first time they're making a commitment to you, whether it is that they want to affirm and reaffirm their commitment to you, God, I pray that you meet, would meet them here today, even now. Thank you for your word, God. We want to be an empowered church. We want to be an empowered people. We want to be work, walking by the power 
of your Holy Spirit, God. So as the worship team worships, would you just stand? They'll sing Holy Spirit. And if you need prayer, if you need a refreshing of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you need prayer for something else, I'd invite you to come up for prayer at this time. Come up for prayer at this time.